As we step into this new year, I know that many of us are probably relieved to leave 2020 behind us. Um, I know some of you were anxiously watching the clock, and as it hit midnight, we're afraid that it was going to say some, like continue saying 2020. But uh, even as this year passes, uh, there's an uneasiness, at least for me, as we realize that the calendar may change, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the challenges have changed. Does that make sense? That maybe you and I were thankful for the ways that God has carried us through many difficulties over this past year. And on the one hand, we hope that things will get better, but we also worry that things could get quite worse, especially if you've been touched by any pain or any loss over this past year. So even after we experience a lot of God's help to carry us through difficult times, as we cross into this new year, instead of growing in faith, many of us are growing in fear. What I mean by that is, even though we've seen God take us this far, what if this mutation of a strain of COVID-19 is more contagious and more deadly? What if the political divisions, instead of healing, get worse in our society? What if I'm more busy or more lonely or more empty this year? What if the problems in my family or in my finances, in my future, become even more broken instead of getting better? Just because the calendar changes doesn't mean that my circumstances will. And so I want to encourage you this morning that the same kind of fears about entering into something new have always gripped God's people. That the God's people in the Old Testament also experienced those same fears and those same concerns as they entered into new territory. And so maybe we can find some encouragement as we turn in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 this morning. Now, you may remember the history of Israel that God delivered his people out of slavery and death in Egypt and led them towards a promised land. And so he did incredible things like parting the Red Sea to escape the armies of Egypt and in the wilderness, raining bread from heaven or producing water from rocks when they were thirsty and leading them as this magnificent pillar of cloud or fire uh, throughout their times. And yet the people of God repeatedly turned from him in unbelief again and again, even after they had sometimes literally tasted the power, the provision, and the presence of God himself. And you may remember it culminated in Numbers chapter 14, where they're standing at the precipice of the promised land, and they're balking at the report of the great enemies ahead in that land. And so it tells us in Numbers 14 that the entire nation of Israel grumbled against God. Why did you bring us all this way out here simply to die? We'd rather turn back than follow you. And what ends up happening is they get exactly what they want. They turn away from the promised land and wander around throughout the wilderness for an additional 40 years until an entire generation of Israelites dies off in the wilderness. But here's the good news. God is a God of second chances as he often does in your life and mine, where we see history repeat itself, that we're given second chances to make the right choice, to trust in him. And so God calls Joshua and this next generation of Israelites to be strong and courageous, to fulfill God's promises, to lead God's people to the edge of the promised land. And before they enter that land, they have to face this insurmountable obstacle in front of them. How are we going to cross the mighty Jordan River that separates us 
from God's promise, over a million people strong, men, women, and children. And so the big idea from this morning's text that I want you to get is that as we face new lands and new obstacles, crossing into God's promise requires obedient trust in God's presence, that we would know that he is with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us as he promises, that he himself will lead us and guide us and provide for his people, fulfilling his purposes and his promises for their lives as well as ours. And so this is the kind of faith that requires both an inward trust and an outward obedience to step into both the problems as well as the promise that God has in front of us. And so the passage is going to reveal for us how that kind of thing is expressed in three ways. In the preparation of our faith, in the expectation of our faith, and finally in the demonstration of our faith. And so let's pick up in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Satim, And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. That's about 1,000 yards, 100 yards. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders amongst you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. So let's stop right there for a minute. Verse 1, they've left behind the security of their settlement to camp openly on the banks of the Jordan River. There's no more hiding from enemies. They're announcing the coming of the Lord and his people into the promised land. So in verses 2 and 3, as God commanded them to do in chapter 1, verse 11, on the third day, it's time to go. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the priests, follow it. Now, why are they following this, this box, this chest? Now, you might remember that the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of the very presence of God. It's filled with reminders about the covenant between God and his people. And on top of that chest is a mercy seat, a symbol of God's throne of grace and his presence amongst them. And then this ark, this box, is held up by these long poles so that it wouldn't touch the ground or be touched by people because God is holy and to be treated reverently. And then one time a year, they would put, the high priest would pour a blood sacrifice on that mercy cover for the forgiveness of sins for the entire nation because all people are unable to meet God's holiness and so we need to be covered by God's mercy. Now, when they go and are instructed to follow the ark, what they're doing is really following God. They're instructed to do so at a distance not only because God is so holy, but here's the key, verse 4, look at verse 4, in order that you should know the way that you should go. So there's a reality check here. God is telling them, you have no idea where to cross 
or how to cross this river. So don't run ahead of me. Don't trust in your own skills and ability. Instead, follow the direction of the very presence of God himself, that where he leads, they would follow. And so in our preparation of our own faith, before you and I cross into new territory, we must be willing to follow wherever God leads. Well, what does that look like? A lot of us say we want to follow God, but what does that really look like? I'm going to describe three ways for you, three tests that you can examine yourself with. The first is this. It means that we don't just focus on the rivers that I want to cross in my life, that this one looks really fun and that one looks too hard, so I'm not going to bother. But I wonder how many times you and I have pursued personal goals and when those plans fall apart, we get mad at God. We end up complaining, Jesus, why did you fail me in this? And the answer is that he didn't because we weren't really following him. We weren't following his presence. We were chasing something apart from God. Second test, Jesus may lead you to the right river, and yet we don't follow him the way that he wants through the river. What I mean is maybe God brings us to the right place, the right opportunity, the right situation, but we run past him and we decide, I'm going to do things with my own plans, or I'm going to find my own way across. And that too will lead to failure and disaster. Third test, you see in verses five and six, (coughs) excuse me, before the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, uh, out into the river, God commands his people to do what? Consecrate yourselves in preparation for his presence to do wonders amongst them. And so what does that mean to consecrate yourself? The word in the original language means to be set apart for God, to be cleansed inside and out. So before Jesus leads you into something new, that we want to give him our heart and our hands and our sin, that our internal attitudes and our external lifestyle are to be washed clean, set apart for God and his glory. And so I think about this way. Um, With the new year, I've been personally praying and asking Jesus to prepare me for what's to come. What are the new places that you want to lead me and lead our church? And I was surprised when the answer actually started at home. I was convicted and reminded that I am a man of a very sinful tongue with my wife, with my children, And so when that was pointed out to me, I knew it was from God. It was the Holy Spirit leading me because I was immediately convicted by Jesus. The words in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, that it wasn't just the words that I speak, but Luke 6, 45, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So my problem isn't just that I have sinful words, but that I have a sinful heart. And so I found myself broken before God in prayer recognizing that I need a change. That before you can go anywhere, before you can do anything for Jesus, am I prepared to follow wherever he leads, starting from where my heart and my life need cleansing? As you enter into new territory this year, are you preparing yourself with the courage, the commitment, the humility to follow Jesus wherever he leads, however he leads? Do you trust him? Do you trust his promises for your life? 
Are you willing to let Jesus lead you to obstacles and lead you through those obstacles as well for his purposes and for his glory? Because there's so many times we bump up against obstacles in life and we decide, like the Israelites, to turn back. And now here's the key. Are you willing to let him lead you to those obstacles and through those obstacles even when you don't know where to cross or how to cross? Or even when you think you do know how to cross? Are you letting Jesus prepare you by cleansing you? Are you seeking his forgiveness of your sins and the healing of your heart and maybe a change of your life? Because we need him to wash away those things that bind us and blind us from his promises and his purposes. The preparation of our faith. But let's move on. Let's look at verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today will be, I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is amongst you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Let's stop right there. So in verses 7 through 8, God says, I'm going to affirm Joshua's leadership like Moses through what he's about to do. And so he instructs the priests carrying the ark. When you get to the water's edge, don't stop. Keep going. Take this incredibly holy ark, the symbol of my very presence, that's not supposed to touch the ground, that's not supposed to touch human hands, and stand with it in the middle of the river. And make sure you don't drop it. And then he turns to the people in verses 9 and 10 and says, Come and listen, not to Joshua, not to his words, but to the word of the Lord your God. How often do you and I think that we're following God because of an inner feeling or potential conviction, and yet we're not actually listening to the actual word of God that's already been given to us? So God says to Israel, how do you know that my promises are true, that my presence and my power of the living God are with you, that I will drive out those enemies ahead of you in the promised land. Verse 11 and 12, here's how you're going to know. I want you to go and pick a representative from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Pick a representative. Each of them is going to serve as a witness and tell them to keep their eyes on the ark. Why? Because what's going to happen here is This isn't just anyone's ark. What does it say in verse 11 and 13? It's declared emphatically two times that this isn't just anyone's ark. It belongs to the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of every person, every nation, every situation, that he is master of it all. He is Lord of it all. And so in verse 13, when the priest's feet touched the water, 
Not because they're so holy or so special, but because they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the presence of the Lord of all the earth. Then the not-so-mighty Jordan River is just going to stop. That God will exert his mighty power and none of the water is going to continue flowing downstream. And so, in other words, if you are willing to follow his lead, that you will see him fight on our behalf here at the river, then you'll know he'll fight for us there across the river by overcoming his, the enemies of, of the people of Israel. And so the second lesson that God is teaching his people back then and us today is that as we cross into new territory, when we see God's power at work today, then it gives us faith to trust God's promises for tomorrow. That's the expectation of our faith, that when we see God do something here and we bump into an obstacle, that we trust that, you know what, he was faithful back here so I can trust him to overcome over there. And so the second generation of Israelites, they get a second chance. Remember, their parents experienced the same presence and power of God throughout their time in the wilderness. Literally, in Exodus chapter 15, that God parted the Red Sea so that the people of Israel could walk across on dry land. So they've seen God do miraculous things like this before. And yet, the Israelites failed to continue in their faith. They decided the obstacles are too hard, the enemies are too great, and our God is too small. So they didn't trust his promises. They turned back into the wilderness and that generation never entered the land. They died in the wilderness. But this time, when God does this amazing thing, none of this second generation of Israel is going to say, well, that's a nice trick, but we've seen better. None of them is going to say, you're just the Lord of a little river or a little nation or a little land or a little people. But we're not sure if you can keep the big promises that you make. Instead, all of them will say, you are the Lord of all the earth who is with us today. And so we can bank on the certainty of his promises for tomorrow. And we know for a fact that the living God kicked the living daylights out of all the enemies in the land ahead of us. Do you know that kind of certainty is still true? Those promises are still true today. In Romans chapter 8, verses 32 through 39, it tells us, you want to see the certainty, like the power of God at work before so that we have prop guarantees of his promises in the future. Romans 8, 32 to 39 tells us, if God didn't hold back his only son, but instead gave him up for us, he would go that far to demonstrate his love and his power for us all. Will he not? also graciously provide all that he has promised in the fullness of our salvation and our relation with him. Even as we face any trial, any tribulation, any river that you and I need to cross. For some of you, when you lost your job or your insurance this past year, somehow God still provided. When your marriage or your family were failing this year, Jesus carried you. When you experienced devastating loss in your life this year, Jesus was there for you. Jesus was enough. So when the problem is here and the promise seems far, do you forget who Jesus is and what he has done for you? 
like the Israelites of the first generation? Do we sin in our complaint, in our grumbling against God when things don't go our way? Sadly, I see it happen all the time. Or do you remember the times that the presence of God was with you to help you overcome great obstacles? Do you hold on to the evidence of his purpose and the expectation of his promise for tomorrow? Now, the final step of faith that we need to take as we enter into something new is probably the most important of them all. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above, stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, or also known as the Dead Sea to us, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So here's the final step. Verse 14, the people pack it all up. They follow the ark. They follow the presence of God to the shores of the Jordan River. Now, this is no small thing. It requires even more faith than you and I can imagine. Because they're not just dipping their feet in some piddly, slow-moving creek. The Jordan, to give you some idea historically, is normally about 100 feet wide. But because the river drops at a steep elevation from the mountains down to the valleys, the rushing water becomes this raging torrent with a vicious current. Now, I want you to notice the complication. Did you see the complication in verse 15? To make matters worse is the annual flood stage of the river. That means that the banks were overflowing from the spring harvest rains. And so what happens is the river, it floods about a third of the Jordan Valley. And the depth and speed of the water nearly double. And so this obstacle has turned from improbable to impossible for this nation to cross. Now, I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'd be asking those questions. Lord, are you sure that you picked the right time? Maybe you're not aware that it's flood season or can this wait till summer when things calm down a little bit? But this is neither a surprise nor setback to God. He has sovereignly and intentionally chosen to show up and show off in the impossible because this is the story about the greatness of our God. And so in verses 16 and 17, when the priests with the ark dip their feet into the water, the river does miraculously exactly as God promised. The water from the mountain piles up river so that none of it flows down towards them or towards the sea. And so they are witnessing the supernatural power of God at work, that the priests stand firm in the middle of the river while the people are crossing over on dry ground. It is a magnificent sight. Now here's the key. Did you catch this critical detail? Before God's people could see anything happen, they had to make a choice. 
Now, I want you to imagine yourself, picture yourself standing there as you're standing at the edge of this rushing, raging river when you can feel the vicious current tugging at your ankles. Will I trust him in that moment? What I mean is when you cannot see any evidence of the power and presence of God at work yet, when he asked the Israelites to trust him with their lives and their wives and their kids and their stuff, everything that they have, everything that they value, trust all that to him to overcome the impossible when the river is still raging as you step into it. Will you choose to step into the water? Foolishly in the eyes of the world. Faithfully in the eyes of God. So after you've made the preparation of our faith, then I'm going to follow him. And you've determined to hold on to the expectation of our faith. You've been faithful in the past. I'll trust your promises for tomorrow. Then comes the demonstration of our faith. That when I listen to your word, as I follow your leading, that I must trust God in the impossible when he asks us to step forward into treacherous waters by faith. You see, faith is easy when the circumstances are manageable, even when they're improbable. But when the river between us and his promises seem impossible, that is the test that separates real faith, uh, real faith, separates those who are fans from those who are followers of Jesus. Those who like the idea of Jesus, as long as it's convenient, versus those who are genuinely hungering and thirsting and trusting Jesus with our lives, with our families, with our futures, with all that I have and all that I am that I'll trust you. So let me ask you, what impossible obstacle to God's will are you facing right now? What step of faith do you need to take in obedience to him in order to cross into his promises? I've seen a lot of smart people do foolish things. For some, you once loved Jesus fiercely, and trusted him boldly. But now you're choosing to sit on the sidelines of the riverbank because you're unwilling to risk yourself, your family, your health, or your wealth to follow Jesus and cross over into the impossible. Others, you stand on the shore of Jesus' purposes for your life. You know that you are fully loved and accepted and forgiven in Christ. You're eager to bring him glory and you trust him that no matter what the cost, it will be for your very best. And so when Jesus calls, you're ready to surrender all that you have and all that you are completely trusting in the power and the goodness of a faithful God. And I think about this step this way. In 1983, Lauren Whitehead published this research article about the domino chain reaction. Now, I know you can picture this already in your mind, right? When you knock over a domino that it sets off a chain reaction, knocking down hundreds of dominoes, right? In a matter of seconds. But what's unique and significant about this research is that he discovered that a domino is actually capable of knocking over something, another domino that's one and a half times its own size. So a two-inch domino can topple a three-inch domino. A three-inch domino can topple a four-and-a-half-inch domino, et cetera, et cetera. You get the point. 
Now here's where it gets cool. And I, and I didn't believe it at first, so I actually used the calculator to, to run the math, and it's true. By the time you get to the 18th domino, you could knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Now I know you're, you're thinking, well, it's leaning, so that's, that's not that fair of a comparison. Let me put it to you this way. By the time you get to the 23rd domino, you could knock over the Eiffel Tower. By the time you get to the 29th domino, you could take down the entire the Empire State Building. You see, it's geometrically increasing, increasingly more powerful in how much it can knock down. So in the realm of mathematics, think of it this way. There's two types of progression. There's linear and there's geometric. Linear is 2 plus 2 equals 4. Geometric is a compound doubling where 2, plus, two times 2 equals 4, but 4 times 4 equals 16, etc. And so think of it this way. If you were to take 30 linear steps, just 30 linear steps, you'd be 90 feet from where you started. But if you were to take 30 geometric steps, you would have circled the earth 26 times. And so faith is not linear. It's geometric. Like dominoes, when Jesus calls us to follow, to take a step of faith, it sets off a chain reaction that we're not even aware of and that we may not even that may not even be revealed to us till we reach the other side of glory. But in the face of a very small obstacle in God's hands, are you willing to take that next step of faith to see God maybe do the impossible? Because you cannot see Jesus' power until you step into the water. So as we cross into this new year, as you face New obstacles. Crossing into God's promises requires obedient trust in God's presence. Trust that he will be with you, that he will lead you, that he will guide you, that he will provide for you, that he'll fulfill his purposes and his promises for your life. And it's the kind of faith that requires both an inward trust as well as an outward obedience to step into both the problem as well as the promise. Perhaps You've been brought to a difficult crossing in your life today for his purposes. He's led you to a new home or a new relationship or you're, he's kind of finally dealing with an old sin or an old hurt or an old issue in your life. Perhaps you're starting a new career or serving in a new ministry. What obstacle do you need Jesus to overcome? And what step do you need to take in order to obey him, to cross through that, no matter how impossible it might seem. For some of you, he's brought you to the most difficult and important crossing of all, that you've been listening to the history and the reality of Jesus for some time, but you have not yet taken that step of faith into the water. Is it time that you made more of a commitment to knowing him, following him, obeying him. What next step into the water do you need to take? Do you need to address a God whose existence you've doubted, asking for his help, asking for his forgiveness, asking for his mercy, asking to know him? You will never pray a more risky and yet rewarding prayer. 
And so to follow Jesus this, into this new season requires that you and I face these obstacles, cross impossible rivers, so that as we trust him, we will experience him as the God of glory and the wonderful Savior. And so may you experience that these rivers that are in front of you are simply a step of faith for you to experience the living God as you cross over into his promises this year. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. And we ask as we celebrate you in this new year with communion, that you would give us courage. And so, Lord, we recognize that um, as wonderful as the new year is, that things haven't changed until we move forward in trusting you. So, Lord, would you deal with us this morning? Help us to see where we need to prepare our faith, have expectation in our faith, and have a demonstration of our faith. And may we celebrate you as we do this kind time of communion together that we might know and, and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen.